If you're like me, keeping up with the news has become a real pain. All the best news sites are locked behind paywalls and the free stuff is just clickbait and fake news that no one should waste time on. Imagine an app where you can get unlocked access to reliable news sites, an app that filters out fake news and clickbait, but still shows you every story from multiple perspectives to counter bias, where good news is in positive stories or highlighted so you don't become despondent, and where journalists dig through the news from around the world to find stories you wouldn't normally see. That's what an innovative Australian startup called Inkle, I-N-K-L, has come up with. Inkle.com has signed partnerships with over 100 news sources like The Economist, The Atlantic, Bloomberg, and created a unique system combining journalists and algorithms to create a best of news feed. The service unlocks more than $12,000 of premium news for 100 bucks a year. And if you go now to Inkle.com backslash Tory, they'll give you an additional 25% discount. So you can get a whole year's worth of headache-free news for just $75. That's INKL.com forward slash Tory. Children, they give you the cure with the sickness. This is a war on tradition. This is a war on religion. This is a war on the children. They give you the cure with the sickness. This is a war. This is a war. This is a war that we live in through. Never reveal you that they also leave and killing you. They don't tell you what the hell you were created. So she been hurting you. Don't know who leading you. Keep on proceeding to follow your mind. So hollow are you being coddled by government swallowing up everything that the media tell you without a question or a problem? All of the sheep being slaughtered, they poison the water, removing the father and cousin. These daughters ignoring blue collar, keeping the dollar and washing your sons and your daughters ain't got any honor. If I'm being honest, I just ain't picking this side. But I'm not around for my freedom and die for my freedom and question the government lies. A lot on my mind, it's so little time. Gotta think all of us needing a sign. The devil he hides and ego and pride. They sell and they sell and they paying the price. God won't give you more than you can handle Government should be the standard Every politician got a scandal Prepare for the war, we going to battle This is a war on yes. religion This is a war on the children They give you the cure with the sickness This is a war on tradition This is a war on religion This is a war on the children They give you the cure with the sickness This is a war This is a war Living and meet that skill. Don't stand up for something, you falling for nothing. No way to the world that we know fall ill. This is the revelation of our generation. Losing civilization, I'm the Terminator. Just a liberator, with our dedication for the Terminator. Fuck your medication, the administration. Can I alienate us or exterminate us? I'll just keep on praying for your salvation. You are outdated. Society becoming outrageous. Keep your house painted for the firstborn. The angel of death in its worst form. We be in scorn. Look out for their horns. Remember, this isn't their first war. They come and prepare, so just be aware. They do not want to hear none of your prayers. This is a war that ain't playing fair. They feed up your fear. They want and you scared. Death and despair, it's all in the air. Just be aware. You think I care? The more that you know, the more that it's clear This is a war, but This is here. a war on religion This is a war on the children They give you the cure with the sickness This is a war on tradition This is a war on religion This is a war on the children They give you the cure with the sickness This is a war This is a war Oh, of the slave to the crickets make a sound Where's the bold and the brave? We all have to stand our ground Oh, of the slave To the crickets make a sound Where's the bold and the brave? We all have to stand our ground This is a war on religion This is a war on the children They give you the cure with the sickness This is a war on this is a war on religion. This is a war on the children. They give you the cure with the sickness. This is a war. This is a war. Tyranny becomes law, rebellion. 
becomes your duty. Welcome everyone to the Tori Says Show. Today is the 11th of October and it's Monday. Don't forget, um, Wednesday I will not be having a show as I will be traveling and I will be unable to actually um, have a show. Now, the individual and the state is a question that a lot of people ask about. Like, what does the individual have? How can it stand up to the state? And like I said, when tyranny happens, I mean, you know, rebellion is your duty, right? That's the way it is. History, in history, right? Freedom, Albert Camus said, freedom is the air we cannot do without, that we breathe without even noticing it until the time comes when you're deprived on it and you feel that you're dying. None of you realize how amazing it is to breathe, how important your lungs are, how taking that breath is until you start choking and you're coughing, right? And then suddenly the air is low and you're feeling dizzy and you can't breathe and you can't suck it in. Suddenly you feel like you're dying. Well, right now we're like people that are losing oxygen, right? That's how freedom is. You don't think about it until you can't breathe. And right now, this is where we are at. We can't breathe. We can't breathe. Because they've taken it from us. You're feeling that right now. Throughout history, freedom has been considered so precious that some individuals have preferred, give me liberty or give me death. Uh, Patrick Henry, if you remember from our letters to the AGs, if life is so dear or peace so sweet is to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery, give me liberty or give me death. That's it. These invisible chains, terrible that we have because we didn't even see that we were living in a pseudo environment of freedom. You know, when slave rebellions happen in the past, there was one guy, you remember down in Jamaica where they had a ton of slaves? Kamala Harris knows about that, right? Anyway, um, the person that was actually put to death for leading the rebellion said, well, I'd rather die than live, you know, in slavery. Because what's the point of living? Think about it. You're alive right now, right? You're alive right now. You're alive. You're breathing, right? You have a job. Maybe you won't have a job if you don't get a vaccine, right? It's a crappy job. Good job. Great job. Love my job. Whatever it is, job, right? But bottom line is... You've been dead. Why are you worried about dying? You've been dead. So if you die now, right, as a slave, you're still going to die at 100, still a slave, only a more tortured one, where you see it more in your face and maybe end up like those people we saw that was that was a heavy film. I'd never watched the whole film in a go, right? I had never watched a whole, the whole 1984 film and ago that we watched yesterday together. But think about it. I mean, what's the point of living if you're just running in a hamster wheel, right? This is why I don't like hamsters because you see them running in the, the wheel and it's like, yeah, so I'm not liking it. Like even my cat that I have constantly indoors, I feel bad. Like, does he want to go out in the wilderness? But I'm like, no, dude, you're going to get run over by a car. Like it's not happening. 
but I'm going to make it as much fun for you as I can. So think about it. We're on a hamster wheel. Uh, work, pay taxes, die. Hmm. That doesn't sound like much fun, especially when you're not allowed to do specific things, does it? It's so sad that during quarantine, all you had was the idiot box. The box that brings out the most malice in people and the internet. You had hoarded your toilet paper, right? You had your food. A lot of you were wiping your vegetables because you didn't know what to think. You didn't know what to think. And you know why? It's because all you had in this time, right? It's 2021. The majority of us had TV. I'm the one that would be like, don't touch my DVR, right? TV. Burgers, hot dogs, chips, popcorn, and, you know, the whole responsibility thing of taking care of my government, making sure I know the names of the people's on school boards and city councils never crossed your mind. The only thing you focused on was president and maybe senator or congressman, maybe. Other than that, it was like nobody cares. You'd go to the ballot box and you wouldn't even know who was on your ballot. Who's that judge? I don't know. Just that one looks better. Yeah, maybe I'll go for a girl this time. This sounds super weird. Nope, nope. How many? Tons of you. Now you're realizing how irresponsible it was to do that. Instead of cherishing the liberties that we have, right, we were willing to dismiss them for some safety, security, convenience, having an easier life. (laughs) And in exchange, we've given all our liberties and we're caged with invisible chains like animals. Freedom is an essential element of a prosperous society. It's not optional. It's essential. Okay. That's something people need to know. It's, it's essential. We need freedom in order to, uh, I don't know, generate the wealth that our nation has. We have to have freedom to think, to excel in things, to solve problems, to want to solve problems, to want to better our lives. You know, we need freedom to unleash creativity and propel civilization forward. We need freedom for, you know, voluntary cooperation within society, uh, peaceful and prosperous, you know, uh, togetherness. Albert Camus again, poverty increases insofar as freedom retreats throughout the world and vice versa. So the more poverty you have, the less freedom there is. The more freedom you have, the less poverty there is. Now, If we're looking back in time for the past two decades, what do we see? Poverty's gone up. Freedom's gone down. And that's the way it goes. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? This reciprocal relationship that exists between poverty and freedom. It's pretty interesting. It's sad. That no one defends it, though. No one wanted to defend it. It was too much trouble, right? Freedom is how you can counteract this 
communism that's encroaching by promoting life as a valuable thing and to get a better grasp of uh, how our society is the opposite of what they tell us. Can you not see that there are only two creeds in the world possible for men? That there are only two sides on which a man can place himself. Are you for a free world or for a world placed under authority? Are you a believer in force or do you take your stand on the fixed and inalienable rights of the individual? That was a question of a bon Hubert. <laughs> that was his statement. So what are you? Are you a believer in force? Or do you take a stand for inalienable rights of the individual? That's that's pretty heavy, but it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? To ward off aggression against one's property, it's almost universally accepted and justified um, to use force to do that, right? In the modern world today, uh, you know, we use a coercive force uh, by the way centralized governments exert extensive top-down attack forces on us, right? This is how they operate. It's, It's pretty interesting. Peace, so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains, right? This is, this is the problem that we have. We have this centralized government that has decided on how things should happen. In the modern world today, we accept an additional type of force that we see as necessary. It's coercive force by these centralized governments, right? Um, But unlike force used defensively, this is a universal agreement to where centralized government force is necessary and justify. That's what they tell you. And they question anyone that questions it by saying whether it contributes, uh, you know, to inhibiting an order of a flourishing society. Does it inhibit society from flourishing? Yes, it does. Power. Power, power is usually done through psyops. Why? Breaking a man's mind, crushing a man's mind, tearing it into pieces, and then building it back together the way you want it is the biggest exercise of power there is. The fact that someone can punch you in the face, right? It's no big deal. But what if they punched you in the face and you said, thanks, that's a big deal. It doesn't take power to punch you in the face. It takes a lot of power to exert for you to get punched in the face and say thank you. Because right now, as we have it, as a nation, we're being punched in the face and we're not doing anything about it. We're not turning the other cheek. We're bending over. We're also handing them a jar of Vaseline too. And go at it. Please have fun. We're all playing dumb. We're all pretending that... um you know, <laughs> that, 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 that it's all going to fix itself in one way. There are people that are so delusional that think that this gets fixed by itself. You know, what's funny. I was sleeping 
last night, and I must have at some point in my sleep around 4 a.m. started playing a video on my phone that was somewhere on my bed. And it was the Old Testament. It was it was in Greek and German, and it was just on the loop. Because I remember waking up, and I'm like, where the heck is this phone? Probably my cat turned it on. I don't know, walking around. But it was at the point, and I'm going to look it up, but it said something shocking. And I want to read it to you when I find it. Because it was up and about um, Deuteronomy 9, I think it was. They called it chapter 9. It said, I will give you a nation, you know, and that you must, you know, do these things and blah, blah. But if you don't, then you're going to go to hell, just like the rest of them. Don't expect me to come and help you. That's what I gathered. And I remember (laughs) uh, waking up saying, damn, who said that? And it was my phone. And I listened to the rest of the words, and then it went on to, um, yeah, it was NIF. So that was the German portion. It said NIF. So that was nine. It was in German. And I remember hearing it, not knowing where it's coming, but I was like, damn, that's it. It was, it was, it said chapter 9.1, something like that. NIF. I'm trying to remember, but it was quite fascinating because this is exactly where we're at. And I'm not speaking like from the point of God, I'm speaking from the point of, Hey, this is your nation. You can either take it back to what it was intended to, or you can burn with it. No one's going to come and save you. God isn't right. He said, you need to do something. You want to build a mountain. Here's a shovel. I will give you the shovel so you can do it. You're not going to sit around and be like, yep, just, you know, do it for me. Yeah. He will lift you to the highest ever. It was French. Thank you. It was in all languages. Thank you. It was Neuf. So I remember that. So it was French. And then it was German when it went into 10. So it was, it was a mashup on YouTube. I have to find my history and see it. Anyway, distracted by the chats. No one is going to come save you. It takes a lot of hard work to have a nation that's free. Everyone must participate. You can't be lazy. You know, believe it or not, in communism, it's the same way too. You think in communism you could sit at home and play video games, young lady, and smoke weed all day because you have anxiety from working. Remember those videos (laughs) from like years ago where they're like, yeah, I don't like to work. I have anxiety with people. So I, um, I get benefits and it's like in a communist society, you'd become soylent green in a free society. You would be highly urged to move your ass and get a job. And if you have anxiety issues, then we'll put you in a box where you're comfortable with Crayolas and you can work from home. But you will not sit and suck off the teat of those that work hard because you want to. That's not how it works. And I think maybe this is why, this is why they've maimed the children to make them so weak and so complacent, right? So complacent. They're just, 
week. I don't want to work. I got a degree in gender studies and I can't get a job except for Starbucks. Yeah. Who told you to get a degree in gender studies? Sorry. I got a degree in French, but I didn't want to teach. So I didn't do teaching and I can't get a job, but I still have to pay my debt. So everybody pay it for me. That's not how it works. Now I found this clip from someone that I don't necessarily always agree with. I'm trying to find it. Um, but it was quite nice. And I want you guys to listen to this. Just close your eyes and listen to the words. It's kind of awesome. We are consciousness having a brief experience called human through a, a vehicle called a body but the body has a cycle we have eternity at the level of consciousness our awareness and therefore at some point we are going to leave this body bloody hope so i don't want to stay here forever so are you going to concede your self-respect for to buy you think a few more years because uh, you think well you know uh, I, I might be in danger if i take on these people is that what you're going to do? Because you're going to leave the body anyway. And, you know, Martin Luther King made a, a magnificent quote once. He said, if you're 38 years of, of age, he was at that time, and you're faced with um, standing up for a great cause, and you refuse to do so because of intimidation and fear, then you might go on and live till you're 90. As he said, the cessation of your breathing at 90 will merely be the physical confirmation of the death of your spirit at 38. And so, you know, we're going to leave this body at some point anyway. And once you lose fear of death, there's nothing they can intimidate you with anymore of, of substance. And, you know, it's this immovable. I am, I am consciousness. I am on an eternal exploration of forever, forever. This is just a brief experience called human. And I'm not going to let a bunch of prats impose themselves on my life because my self-respect won't allow it. There's nothing, nothing, nothing more important than standing up to this. Oh, well, my kids are more important. Well, what do you think is going to happen to your kids if you don't stand up to it? There is nothing more important in anyone's life on planet Earth now than bringing an end to this nonsense, which in numbers we can do, but not if we uh, have big butch guys with vibrating jelly-like backbones uh, uh, frightened of their own shadow. That ain't going to sort it. And I don't, I don't mean violence. I don't mean violence. You don't even have to shout no. You just have to mean it. No, I'm not doing it. Well, we'll do this. Well, do it then, because I'm still not doing it. Whatever you intimidate me with, I'm not doing it. And it's an energy. It's an energy. It's a power. If we use it, we can bring this nonsense to an end, because let's lose this idea that this network, this cult, and all its agents and morons and gophers have power. They don't. The power they have is the power we give them. End of story. And what we see 
is what most people see is that part of the cycle that part of the feedback loop where authority imposes its power on the people what people don't see is the first part of the feedback loop which is the people give that power to authority in the form of acquiescence and you know if people people think of a um, think of a pyramid a hierarchical pyramid in a country like australia or globally same structure and at the top of the pyramid is a tiny few people the inner core of this cult operating the shadows people won't know know of them they stay way out of the public arena if you can see someone representing the cult they're nowhere near the top and so at the top of the pyramid you've got this tiny few people in the core of the cult and they impose their will upon the level below them which acquiesces to that will in position and imposes it on the next level and it comes down and very soon after you come down from the uh, the inner core of the cult you're meeting levels of the hierarchy whether it's national or international that have no idea there even is a cult they just do what their perceived superiors tell them to do and down the pyramid it comes imposition acquiescence imposition acquiescence and then it comes down to the mass of the people the, the foot of the pyramid and if we acquiesce at that level to that part of the hierarchy that's imposing its will upon us then what we do by that acquiescence is complete the circuit from the inner core of the cult down to the mass of the people billions and that circuit completes is a circuit of imposition and acquiescence right down to the population which means the the will of the tiny few at the top of the pyramid is imposed upon the entirety of the population and it's done by acquiescing to imposition so you know we can we can look around for solutions you know i don't want solutions i want to remove the cause of the problem because if the cause of the problem is removed the problem must disappear because its cause is gone you look for solutions you usually solutions lead to more bloody problems which want more solutions remove the cause of the freaking problem and the problem is and has been throughout human history the acquiescence of the few of the many rather to the few look in any culture any period of history and you'll see that dynamic the many give their power through acquiescence to the few and and we have an opportunity now because it's a time of great danger obviously it is i mean not to tell people in australia that but it's also a great time of opportunity because this cult has been operating literally in the subconscious in the shadows all this time manipulating society towards this end goal a total global control and i've been pulling this out now over 30 years that this is going on and 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 bringing the uh the from the shadows into the public arena and um, but it's still it it's still not been totally tangible to people so this cult has had to enter the room because uh, there was always going to come a point i said this over the years where you can only uh, manipulate under the radar for so long when you want to transform human society because there comes a point where human society has to actually transform at the level that people can see it and be aware of it and that's where we are so um 
we have a, uh, a great opportunity as well because um, more and more these people are putting themselves on public display. They don't want to, but they have no choice. They want to transform human society into a global fascist dictatorship. Then at some point that has to become obvious that that's what they're doing and we're there. So this is a great time of opportunity as well. But again, we come back to backbone and we come back to growing a pair and we come back to uh, commitment to freedom. How badly do you want freedom? Oh, do you want it, do you want it, do you want it a little bit? Well, what do I have to do to stand up for freedom? Oh, that? Oh, no, I don't want freedom that much. Well, OK, well, don't complain. This is this cult running for home, mm-hmm. running, running for its end game. This is not meant to, uh, to kind of fade away. This is meant mm-hmm. to get worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And uh, at what point um, in that worse and worse and worse um, is too much for, you, for people to say, uh, I'm not having this anymore. It is a great opportunity for another reason. It's a great danger to the cult for another reason. And it's the, the process of nothing left to lose. While people think they have something left to lose, they'll acquiesce in the hope of not losing it. When there's nothing left to lose, when how can anything, how can standing up to this be worse than than what we've got anyway, uh, and what my life is anyway? That changes the dynamic. If you have some some army coming at you, uh, and you have a way of uh, retreating, then you probably retreat. But if there's uh, if there's an army coming at you through the only way out, um, so there is no means of retreat then your dynamic changes. Instead of thinking, how do I run from this? You think, well, what have I got to lose? What can I have a go? And it's time to have a go. And I don't mean violence. Mm. I mean refusing. And that is exactly what we have been doing. There is no way out. Do you want to retreat on your couch? Maybe you want to take a back seat. Maybe you want to sit down for a second. I mean, <laughs> I need a break. But you... There's no way out. We have to keep fighting. Oh, that's so stupid. Why would you file that? It's going to be thrown out. Don't care. I'm going to throw everything I have in civil disobedience. I am going to lawfare the crap out of each and every one of them. That's what we say. Because I'm going to do something. I'm not just going to sit here with my arms in my lap waiting. And if that doesn't work and they come to my door, well, that's when it's going to get bloody and it's going to be game over, right? But until that day comes, I am going to be fighting, fighting, fighting. Never leave the enemy with no way out. Well, the way out they're giving you is if you're compliant, guess what? You get a free donut. Guess what? If you shut up and just say Biden's your president, you'll get a ton of money for your campaign. Are you fighting elections? Guess what? We're disowning you. If you don't, you get likes, clicks, and love. It's like, seriously? Now, we should talk about something. Uh, We should talk about the Supreme Court because we should. We need to get very familiar with some things. But I wanted to go back to, you know, me waking up and and I Googled this. So I found it online and I'll start from what I remember hearing in another language. Um, And it was when I went up in the mountains. So it was it was um, nine. It was chapter nine, um, nine. Nine nine, so it was nif nif, 
And it says, when I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord had made with you, I stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water. So fasted, hungry. Okay. The Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain of out of fire on the day of assembly. At the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord told me, go down from here at once because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become, have become corrupt. They have turned away quickly from what I commanded them and have made an idol for themselves. And the Lord said to me, I have seen this people and they are stiff necked people indeed. Let me alone so that I may destroy them all and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make you into a nation stronger and more numerous than they. So I turned and went down from the mountain while it was ablaze with fire. And the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. When I looked, I saw that you had sinned against the Lord, your God. You had made yourselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way the Lord had commanded you. So I took the two tablets and threw them out of my hands, breaking them into pieces before your eyes. Then once again, I fell prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water because all of the sin that you had committed, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight and arousing his anger, I feared the anger and wrath of the Lord, for he was angry enough with you to destroy you. But again, the Lord listened to me and the Lord was angry enough with Aaron to destroy him. But at the time I prayed for Aaron too. Also, I took the simple thing of yours, the calf you had made and burned it in the fire. Then I crushed it and ground it into powder as fine dust through uh, and threw the dust into the stream that flowed down the mountain. You may, you also made the law. The Lord angry, Tabara and Massa and Kibroth Hathava. And when the Lord sent you out from Kadesh Barnea, he said, Go up and take possession of the land I have given you. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You did not trust him or obey him. You have been rebellious. So let me skip forward uh, to where the other part is where he was like, I give you the land. Oh my God, it's so far. Fear the Lord. No need to fear our father. Love and obey. Take possession of them. Okay. Observe, therefore, all commands I'm giving you today so that you may possess the strength and go in and take the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And so that you may live long in the land of the Lord, swore to your ancestors to give them upon the descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. The land you're entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you come where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is the land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It's the land the Lord God cares for you. The eyes of the Lord, your God, are continually on it from the beginning of this year until its end. Now, I'm, I think this translation is not good because it sounded a lot better in another language, but it was pretty much saying that I'm giving you this land and you need to take hold of it or else you'll just burn with the rest of them. And that's what it was saying. Like I was hearing it and I was like, Oh, I see. I see. This is exactly it. I mean, we don't have to force people 
to change their religion or thought, right? Let's put religion aside for a second, even though for me, it's the center of all. Let's put it aside for a second for people that believe in science or aliens or, you know, um, whatever it is they believe in, pastafarians, the pasta monster. You have a massive piece of land called the United States of America. You have land that is rich in oil, in gas, in fertile lands that give you citrus in the south and wheat in the north, apples in the northeast. You have lobsters, you have oysters, you have crabs. You have everything the whole world wants, right? Where other people need to buy carrots from somewhere else, you're growing it. You have tobacco, you have corn, you have anything you want. This is massive. This is the land of milk and honey, right? You have everything, right? There's nothing in within our borders from sea to shining sea, right? We have nothing, nothing that you need, that you need more. You have niobium, you have oil, you have steel, you have coal, you have diamonds, you have gold, you have everything. So why is it that we are in poverty? It is because we have been taught by those that are in power now. After Lincoln, when he brought us in unity, once we were formed, that we live in scarcity, that we do not have. We are not allowed to collect rainwater. No, no, no. That's the city's job. You are not allowed to have chickens in your backyard because you must be zoned for that. You can't have animals unless you're a farm, right? Okay. Who said that? Who said that? Who told you that? Who said that we have scarcity? And who said that those are rules of the land? Did we forego them? Yes. Many people in urban cities, right, have decided we don't do chickens in our building. You know, homeowners associations. Great. That's something that we all voted. We did. But did we say that we cannot have like a collection of rainwater at the top so we don't have to pay water bills? And then, oh, but we need water workers because then we can clean it for you better. And then it's piped up and it's a lot healthier. I agree. I agree. But we can have ours first and then use yours. Right? I'm just saying. Right? These are all things that have been discussed and that we've dismissed without paying attention. We have reduced what we're able to have. We're reducing our rights, right? Slowly, but surely they've been chipped away. But the one thing that we do have is our constitutionally protected rights. And that's something people can't take away. When back in 1999, when the discussion of going away with the chats and bringing electronic voting systems was brought on, no one knew that it was going to be a weapon of mass destruction. No one knew, right? No one knew that it was going to be the segue to silence your voice. See, they didn't take it away from you on paper because you have guns. They need to take your guns away because they know what you're going to do with the guns. They're about to do some shit that you're going to want to use guns for, right? But the Second Amendment was second for a reason, and I've said this before. It was to protect your first. And they've stolen your First Amendment right at the ballot box, not just in 2020. They attempted in 2016, kind of laws, but they did in 2019, 20, 
2018, 2017, and attempted it in 2016, but they couldn't fix it. <laughs> no wonder, right? Hillary didn't ask for an audit. Oh, shit. Because, you know, there was mitigation ready for that one, too. You know, that would have been fun to watch them have to explain that, right? You have to understand that the responsibility we have is great. And right now we have 47 states with writ of mandamus against their governors. I got a motion to dismiss on mine, and I'll be answering that soon. Um, I actually will reach out to someone to help me with something because I need some document formulated. Um, uh, from one of you, average Americans, to help me because I, I'm going to be traveling that I can't talk about. So um, they asked for a motion to dismiss. And while looking at it, I noticed that, one, it was weak. And two, they didn't touch and question the fact that I had the right. They just questioned the repercussions and that I argued it wrong or I shouldn't have standing. It's just bullshit arguments. This is why our next move, we all need to be tuned in. This one's going to be a massive one. And we're not going just to our states. We're going straight to the top. Why? Straight to the top. The only way to escape tyranny, there's five steps. One of those main steps is protecting the institutions that ensure that you cannot face a tyrannical, that you don't have to live under a tyrannical government. And which one is that? It's SCOTUS. SCOTUS is the last line of defense of the Constitution, and it's very, very, very difficult to take a poop all over it. I know many people see a lot of articles about cases and how they're lost or what they say, but if you read it, right, it's actually quite right on point. Every judge that gets a case wants it thrown out. Nobody wants to take a challenge. It's not like they're like, yep, let's see what we got next. I'm excited. They're tired of doing this shit. They want it out. So Scotus Gate is going to be fire. There's going to be a lot that has to come up to that point. I have to say, I am so proud of everyone that's filed the case because you guys did it with no lawyers. You did it yourselves. I mean, see, it's just English. And... They don't hold us to the same standards as lawyers, but shit, what is it? Scholar.google.com. You can find a shit ton of cases you can copy off of. Okay. Take it, paste it, reword it and fix it. Right? I'm just saying we're going to, we're going to win not because we're that good, but because it's the only way that is the only way you cannot say that this has been a good <laughs> Good, good year. In 2020, for some godforsaken reason, a guy that we didn't elect, a guy that's known for murdering people, told us we were all sick. We're all still alive. Now, I'm not saying COVID is BS, right? It gets you sick. So what do you do? You feed your cold, you stay home, you sweat it out, you eat your oranges, and you get your medicine, Right? There's people that have been sick for like forever in a day. Maybe they were, you know, hindered. I had a friend of mine that I spoke to. He was, I was getting over COVID. It was like three weeks or whatever. And I was like, did you eat cuties? No, but I took vitamin C. No, you need cuties because the cuties, the vessel is what counts. You can take as much vitamin C as you want. If the right 
presentation of the molecule on the cell isn't there, it's no good. You take a vitamin, it'll pop up on your cell like a circle. You take it as an injection, that shit will be a super triangle. If you eat it on, and I'm just talking shapes of the way it sits, right? If you eat a cutie, it'll be a triangle. If you eat a lot of cuties, it'll be like a super triangle. <laughs> These are things that we need. Um, <clears throat> halos and cuties are the ones that you should be eating. Tons of it. It's not just the orange juice. You need that specific, every single fruit, every single vegetable, every single piece of meat, they're all different. They all have different enzymes, different um, uh, structures, different potencies, and different deliverance programs. So like, for example, if you're low on iron, you can eat beef and beef up your iron, but it won't be as good as having a cup of spinach. Do you see what I'm saying? So they're all different. Um, so we always have to um, feed our bodies the right way. Don't do what I did, which is after I got sick and went to the doctor with some, you know, something with my, with my liver. I, once I got out and I was still groggy from the like temper, it was like just full transparency here. It was like a kind of sedation thing. Um, <laughs> when I woke up, I was groggy and feeling sick. What did I do? I went to the dirtiest Chinese restaurant hole. It was like a hole in the wall. And I got myself sesame chicken and noodles. And then I was sicker because those weren't good. So never <laughs> make sure you feed your body. Well, I mean, it was late. I, what was I thinking? I mean, I would have been better off with Chick-fil-A, right? But instead I was like, yep, this Chinese place that has, I kid you not, I don't, maybe it was because I was under the influence, right? From the from the um, fentanyl, whatever, um, that they had during the procedure. It was just a couple weeks ago where I was sick and I was like, yeah, I'm not doing a show that time. I was so where I fell asleep in the bathtub, that one. I don't know what possessed me. And I'm like, yeah, we're just going to stop right here and look at this place that has no customers in the middle of nowhere. And instead of having plexiglass, they had plastic bags as separators. I'm definitely going there to eat after that. That was like the worst decision ever. Don't do it. Okay. Don't do it. Uh, don't, don't make bad decisions. So I did that. I, I would have been just better off with a ham sandwich at home. Anyway. So We've had a lot of people of authority telling us what to do, giving us, you know, advice like go to that Chinese restaurant and get some crappy ass food when you're sick, right? Um, and for some reason, we've been challenging it, but we've been challenging it online as if that's going to do something. So you're bitching. As you see, your right-wing media, your alt media, and your left media isn't reporting shit. So what do you do? Oh, you can't fight him now. Oh, it's too much. It's overwhelming. Guys, every time I go to bed, I think, okay, um, I am really overwhelmed right now. So many times. I am really overwhelmed. Like I am way over my head. So many times I feel it because I feel like no one's there to catch me. And, um, this weekend was evidence of that. And not only for me, that was more in my personal sphere with the death of my friend and then my, my kids homecoming. Like I didn't know what to do. And it was really awkward with the parents, 
the boy's parents. I was like, yeah, so are we like supposed to chat? Like, I don't know them. And I'm like, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> it was, <sighs> there's so much stress and so many things that I'm doing at once that I feel spent. But on the other hand, I feel like I have to do it because there's no other way. I would have hoped that my whole team would have been together on this, but a lot of people have sold out, right? He wanted his house in Costa Rica. You know, he wanted his to have kids because he never had kids. You know, other people have made other choices because they're like, you know what? It's over. Fuck it. Everyone's in on it. We're never going to win. And when I see things like that, I realize they were never on the team in the first place. They were on it because it made them feel better because they were doing things that were helping people, but they weren't really on the team. And I see that even from President Trump's, you know, presidency. Look at all the people that were around him, that were saying all the things that you were tweeting about, cheering about. I mean, so many of you were cheering for Lindsey Graham, and I was like, what a loser. Great job, Lindsey Graham. Nice sword to die on. You think you're going to be there? Then the next day, he would talk about something else and be like, right? And now you see him for what he is. Turtle. What's his name? McConnell. Same thing. All of them, they're all talking, but doing absolutely nothing. And so why are they in office? Why are we electing? How the fuck are we having elections in 2021 when we haven't taken care of 2020? Newsom was being recalled and he didn't get recalled. That's what happens when you have fixed elections. Your voice is smothered. No one's going to hear you and you can't do shit. And they're showing it to you. Ha, what are you going to do, worm? I don't need to talk to you, peasant. Why are you allowing them? It's because you're allowing them. But we're not going to let that happen. You know, I put my my shit where my stuff is, right? I'm, I'm suing Dominion. Let's remember this. I just want to, I know all of you have seen, um, Sitting Powell releasing most of the stuff, but listen to this. Dominion Voting Systems threatening legal action against former Trump lawyer Sidney Powell. Attorneys for the voting company used by several states sending a scathing letter to Powell, accusing her of, quote, reckless disinformation about the 2020 presidential election. Dominion says, quote, as a result of your false accusations, Dominion has suffered enormous harm. Its employees have been stalked, have been harassed, and have received death threats. For the safety of Dominion's employees and for the sake of the truth and confidence in American democracy, we demand that you immediately and publicly retract your false accusations and set the record straight. Out front now, John Poulos. He is the CEO of Dominion Voting Systems. You're at the heart of this, your company, of so many conspiracy theories about this election, all of them debunked. But I wanted to, to, to give you a chance here to take some of these down so our viewers, viewers can explicitly hear them and, 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 and very clearly hear your response. So President Trump says your machines shifted two to three percent of Trump votes to Biden and that you, quote, changed the results of a landslide election. What's your response, John? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Aaron. Um, it's just been an absolute bizarre blizzard of crazy things being said about us. Uh, it's been extremely damaging to our company, our employees and customers. Um, we've The things being said about us just are not true. And as far as I can tell, I'm the only one that has volunteered to talk about these things under oath. Um, 
And so ultimately, we are asking for a complete retraction. Um, uh, or uh, ultimately, I guess we'll, we'll have to see them at, in the courthouse. Many of the conspiracies have centered around Michigan. Now, we know human error there did cause unofficial results in a county to show Biden ahead when Trump actually won. Now, that number was quickly fixed, right? We knew Trump won. The president, though, came out. Forget the human error part, which is the fact. He said it was due to software error, not human error. Again, trying to put it on Dominion. What's your response to that? How do you deal with this? Sure. Well, people keep talking about this, but uh, I, I mean, our machines are tested all the time. It's hard to think of a more and highly regulated business than ours. There are third-party labs uh, that review all of our source code that are uh, certified and regulated by part, the bipartisan federal agency, the EAC. Um, but most of all, we have paper ballots. Right. We have one machine that allows voters to create a paper ballot, and then we have another machine that allows the counting of that paper ballot. So some of the bizarre allegations that votes have been sent to Germany or Spain. Just to put this into context, the U.S. Army had to get involved to debunk some of these claims. The voted paper ballots remain in the counties. They don't cross county lines. They don't cross state lines. And they certainly don't leave the country. This is what's so bizarre. One of the most bizarre claims out there, John, is that Dominion has ties to Venezuelan dictator Hugo Chavez. Now, Hugo Chavez, of course, died seven years ago. But this is a claim out there that was getting a lot of oxygen thanks to Rudy Giuliani. Here he is. The company counting our vote with control over our vote is owned by two Venezuelans who were allies of Chavez, are present allies of Maduro, with a company whose chairman is a close associate and business partner of George Soros. Our company is American. Uh, I started it in Toronto, um, and, but in 2018, we sold to U.S. investors. Um, I'm not sure what Mr. Giuliani is talking about, but there's no Venezuela, there's no Chavez in Dominion voting, uh, never has. Um, there's no China, uh, and there's no links to Cuba or communism. Uh, we are very straightforward, an American company, and, and something, by the way, that we report to the federal, state, and local governments that we report to. Uh, in 2010, uh, while we were still a Canadian company, uh, I underwent a CFIUS process, which is the Committee of Foreign Investment in the United States, just to let them know who we are. Because in 2010, uh, at that point, most of our customers and employees were becoming American and in, in the United States. So we moved our head office to Denver. Um, and so that was the first time we met with CFIUS. And by 2018, we had decided to sell the company to U.S. investors. So the claims on Venezuela uh, and Cuba and China are just absolutely bizarre. He lied. <laughs> he lied. Actually, Sidney Powell that released some of the patents will let you know that he had a patent from like a long time ago. And it was in 2014 when Coomer and them got the Dominion company and uh, added his patents to it. So he lied again. And in his letter, he told me that he founded the company in 2018 in his basement and shit. And it's like, no, nah, that doesn't make sense. I have the paper trail. I also have the shit where you guys are talking with the DOD. Fuck you. I also have the paperwork that you're talking with the CIA. Fuck you. And the original machines that were way back in the day, we sold to Venezuela. That's the only contact. And we sold them for Florida. And you know what's super weird? 
Patrick Berge was in Tampa advocating for those stupid machines to be sold and they sold them for pennies, right? For what they paid for, right? How weird is that? That me and him cross paths in regards to elections years ago and never met about the same shit. <laughs> How synchronicity works, right? So, um, so October 18th, we're having a case management conference in chambers, which means what we're going to subpoena, what we're going to request and what we want. So it's going to be quite interesting. It's going to be very, very interesting because I already have a list of things that I'm going to ask for and I'm ready. I'm so ready. I'd like him to explain on his videos how he said these things and how he made statements of these things when documentation filed with the government says completely different. You know, and that's the thing. People just need to put it together. That's all. They're putting pieces and pieces where they talk about Hugo Chavez. Yeah, because they have their machines, their source code, third party. What? They're being searched by who? The EAC. How many states have said we didn't have certification? But you know what? That horse is dead because nobody listened, right? But don't worry. I'm going to revive that horse. It's going to get like a second life. It's going to be resurrected. It's going to be running down the races. It's going to win the triple crown. That horse is so not dead because I'm going to hit it on all fronts. Because the minute he says, oh, this is how I'd be like, oh, stop. And if he says, oh, well, my source code is actually seen by a third party. Because let me tell you something. The EAC companies, ProVNV and SLI Gaming, do not see the source code. It's another company, right? Another company, a completely different company, right? Hmm. That's overseas. And I already have the name of the CISA, SISA, whatever you want to call the agency's name, <laughs> who works for three companies. Well, two of them are agencies within our government. And one is a foreign company. I have his name, picture. Guess what that fucker was talking about in 2020? New elections. No shit. See, that's the thing. People can talk, smack, all they want. But it's all been laid out in my affidavit. And I don't have just one affidavit. I have more. Those are just sealed. See, not everybody knows what's going on. And this is why it's been really, really tough for me. I feel like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm bleeding <laughs> out of every orifice. Uh, I feel like I'm being, you know, spread thin and just, it's just nuts, you know? And it's all, you know, poor little Phoebe. She's like, Mommy, it's my 16th birthday and we're going to be like traveling and you can't do anything and we can't do a party. I can't even do a party for her. Like, it's so sad. It's just like, I'm spread so thin right now. But you know what? We're going to win this. If it took this long, and you know what? It's a good thing it did. Because if it would have been fixed, none of you would have kicked off SCOTUS Gate. Well, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> it's been in the work for a while. It's been in the work for a while. So it's going to be so awesome. Now, let's talk about SCOTUS for a second. Once we shift gears, I'm going to put on a nice little song, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk SCOTUS. Because I'm going to talk to you about something that I was discussing with someone today in regards to my response to the motion to dismiss and why people keep saying that they're bringing up something else to 
uh, discredited the 1905 ruling about the polio vaccine, which is also bullshit. It just means that the states can make decisions, right? But the states haven't made any decisions. So that's really weird, isn't it? Don't you find it weird that the states haven't made any decisions, but for some reason people are saying the states made decisions? The states can't make such decisions without votes from the people. They can't enforce vaccines, all vaccines, even MMR. I mean, how many people get mandatory flu vaccines? None. This should be treated the same. Why is it different? See, these are little questions we should all be asking ourselves. But it'll come because being an American is in your blood, right? That's what it is. It's in your blood. So maybe we should listen to that. It's in my blood. What is it? Sean Menendez? It's like the walls are caving in. Sometimes I feel like giving up, but I just can't. It isn't in my blood. Laying on the bathroom floor, feeling nothing. I'm overwhelmed and insecure. Give me something I could take to ease my mind slowly. Just have a drink and you'll feel better Just take her home and you'll feel better Keep telling me it's getting better Does it ever Help me It's like the walls are caving in Sometimes I feel like giving up No medicine is strong enough Someone help me I'm crawling in my skin Sometimes I feel like giving up But I just can't It isn't in my blood It isn't in my blood I'm looking through my phone again Feeling anxious Afraid to be alone again, I hate this I'm trying to find a way to chill, I can't breathe, oh Help me It's like the walls are caving in Sometimes I feel like giving up No medicine is strong enough, someone help me I'm crawling in my skin Sometimes I feel like giving up, but I just can't It isn't in my blood It isn't in my blood I need somebody now I need somebody now Someone to help me out I need somebody now Help me It's like the walls are caving in Sometimes I feel like giving up But I just can't It isn't in my blood It isn't in my blood Somebody now I need somebody now Someone to help me out I need somebody
everybody now It isn't in my blood It's totally in your blood. You're a red, hot-blooded American, okay? It's totally in our blood. Let's stop it right there. Now, before we get into what I want to talk about, I want to talk about two things. One, no, one thing. I want to talk about the 1880 election. Garfield, hmm. someone that got offed that nobody talks about. I want to talk about that election for a second because that's pretty interesting. And then we'll get into the really good juicy parts. But I think we need to introduce ourselves to this election. And it's with Hip Hughes, of course. Right. And so um, here we go. Oh, and by the way, just so you know, for Phoebe's birthday, like I may need to go to like another state. And I was trying to coax her like, hey, maybe for your birthday, you want to go to this state? <laughs> I'm just going to say I had the moodiest teenager just look at me. And she's like, um, I'd rather stay with my friend at her house eating chili. And I was like, all right, so we're not going. Okay. Everything will just have to wait. All right. Here we go. Um, this is going to be quite fascinating for those of you that don't know this history. So please enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to Hip Hughes History as we hit you up with another election. This time it's 1880. The Republicans have been in power for 20 years and there's a big old vacancy over the front door at the White House because Rutherford B. Hayes is going to walk away after one term. So let's take a look at the candidates. Let's take a look at the campaign issues. And of course, we're going to take a look at that big old electoral map. So giddy up for the learning. Let's go get her done right now. I'm a stalwart of the stalwarts. You're going to understand what that means by the end of this video. But we really have three candidates in the beginning of the Republican nomination. And none other than Ulysses S. Grant. The dude is back for a third term. And he's going to be running really against James Blaine, who was the Secretary of State. And he's a former senator from Maine. And James Blaine is much more of what's called a reformer or a half-breed, that's what they were called. And they really believe in civil service reform. They, they don't like political patronage. They don't like political machines. And Ulysses S. Grant, he's a stalwart. Stalwarts were a faction of these political machine politicians out of New York that Grant is aligning himself with. And really, it's a battle between him and Blaine, as well as John Sherman, William Tecumseh Sherman's brother. He's in the mix too. But at the end of the day, they're going through ballot after ballot after ballot. They get to 36 ballots when finally they introduce dark horse candidate, dark horse candidate, James Garfield, a house member out of the state of Ohio. And James Blaine teams up with John Sherman. They combine their votes to give the nomination to James Garfield, who's a little bit of a reformer. He's not a stalwart. How about that? So he's going to bring along with him for the ride a stalwart, and that would be Chester Arthur. And that's going to become really important because, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, James Garfield gets shot in July of 1881. So the vice presidential choice is going to be really important. And in fact, when we get to his assassination, which I'm going to briefly mention because I've already made a video upon it, I'm going to say those words again. I am a stalwart of the stalwarts. 
So we have James Garfield. Basically, they believe in Republican principles like high tariffs to protect northern manufacturers. They believe in hard money principles to keep inflation down. They're not so keen on Chinese immigration. That's going to be an issue of the day um, because they're a little closer with the business community, but they're willing to work out that issue. And in terms of civil service reform, they, they have it on the platform. But in the past, that's been a problem for the Republican Party. So we have James Garfield. We have Chester Arthur. Let's put him up into the cage here and see what happens when we go nominate ourselves a Democrat and a populist. Another spoiler alert. We're going to have another populist, another party. So the Democrats can't seem to win an election. You know, the whole secession and starting the Civil War thing is kind of hanging over their heads. And the Republicans have been pounding into their brains every four years. The Democrats accuse the Republicans of waving the bloody shirt. So in their nomination process, it comes down to two candidates. First, they have a conservative candidate in Delaware, Senator Thomas Bayard. He's a very traditional Democratic states' right kind of candidate with a long record. Or they can go with a wild card. They could do that. They could go with Major General Scott Hancock. And Hancock is a union general. Hancock is in charge of Pickett's Charge at Gettysburg. So it's going to be a little bit harder to wave that bloody shirt when you have a hero at Gettysburg on top of that Democratic ticket. So at the end of the day, that's who they go for. We have a wild card pick, not a politician, a citizen, a soldier out of West Point, Major General Hancock. In a nod to the party apparatus, he's going to bring along with him for the ride William English, a House member out of the state of Indiana, which was a swing state, and he's a conservative Democrat, so he's shoring up his support in the Democratic Party. But now we got ourselves a contest. We have on one side of the aisle, James Garfield, and now we have Major General Hancock. But wait, spoiler alert, one more dude's going to show up to the party. So we have James B. Weaver, who's going to be running under the Greenback Party. This is really one of the first populist parties in American history. They're not going to do tremendously well, pulling it about... 300,000 votes. But when you look at how close this race is, it is a little bit of a factor. And it's interesting just to bring it up because it is a populist party. James B. Weaver traveled around the country with his message of the greenbacks, which was that we needed to have a larger money supply, that people couldn't borrow money, that there just wasn't enough money in the system when we were relying on gold. So during the Civil War, the federal government, in order to uh, widen the money supply, began issuing paper currency called greenbacks. Now, after the Civil War, the Republican Party and pretty much the Democratic Party believe in more hard money principles, and they're starting to retreat from greenbacks, and they're withdrawing them from circulation. And a lot of people, there's kind of an economic panic in the 1870s, believe that we need to have a wider money supply. And this is really going to cross party lines. It's seen as being more of a spinoff of the Republican Party, but you certainly have a lot of poor whites and blacks in the South and in the West that are attracted to this idea. So Weaver's going to travel around the country with this platform. And not only that platform, but racial justice. They believed in an eight-hour working day. They want to end child labor. They want to regulate big business. This is a very early formation of a populist party that's later going to become the populist party and eventually affect the Democratic Party. We're, oh my God, FDR, what am I doing? I'm getting way ahead of myself. So we have our three candidates now. Let's take a look at the election itself and then we're getting to the big map. I can't wait. Aren't you excited? I'm so excited. So 
in the beginning of the campaign, at least, the Republicans are waving that bloody shirt saying that we can't hand power back over to the Democrats. And the Democrats are screaming about the 1876 election, which they believed was rigged and stolen from them. And the candidates are really trying to stay out of the limelight, letting the political machines fight their battles for them. And there's not a humongous difference on some of those big issues. The hard money issue, there's not a lot of differences between the Republicans and the Democrats. And there's certainly not a lot of differences between the Democrats and the Republicans when it comes to protecting black rights in the South or anything like that. But there is a difference between them on tariffs. Garfield supports a high tariff. And of course, that Hancock is going to support a low tariff. And part of that Democratic platform is going to be used against him, which said that the only tariffs we should have are for revenue only. And that became a calling point for the Republican Party in the North, trying to fracture the Democratic coalition. Before this election, guys, most of those maps are mixed. You have Democrats winning in the North and Republicans winning in the South. But now you're going to have a solid Democratic South as the Democratic coalition falls apart. You have to remember that there are Democrats in the North. And most of those Democrats are immigrants and Catholics, people that would be considered working class. So when this information comes out that he's so against any type of tariffs, there's a fear in that community that there's going to be a loss of jobs because the federal government isn't protecting U.S. manufacturers. So they're going to fall out of the Democratic camp and start aligning with the Republican Party. So that's going to be a big deal. There's also an October surprise. Don't you love October surprises? At the end of the election, there was a rumor that was circulated that James Garfield was in cahoots with the business community to make sure that we didn't have limits on Chinese immigration. There's a lot of nativism in the country and the Democrats are capitalizing on that, saying that the Republicans are going to keep those Chinese here for cheap wages. Now, the story wasn't true, but a 100,000 flyers had gotten out to the West Coast and circulated around the states of California, Nevada, and Oregon, and that actually does influence the vote out there. Both candidates have pretty similar stances on civil service reform. Of course, there are Democrats that are trying to link Garfield to the credit mobilier scandal, and there might have been kind of a soft link in there, but that doesn't take a humongous hold in the country. But other than that, it really is a personality contest between these two guys. And now we're going to take these two guys along with that Weaver dude. Now, Weaver is a populist. He's not staying on his porch. He's going around the country giving wild speeches. In fact, he's even going down south to bring his message of economic equality and the greenback issue. But he's also talking about racial equality. And some of those rallies got quite violent and had to be shut down. And Weaver's not going to have that much success down south. All right, guys, why don't we get to the results? Because that's the best part. Best part. All right, guys, it's time to bring the big map and throw her up on the wall here. And I want you to make sure that you stare at it for longer than 10 seconds and get used to it because this map is pretty much going to stay just like that until we get to the 1950s, another 70 years down the road. So poof, there it is, guys. That's the solid South. Hancock is going to sweep that Southern vote. In fact, in future elections, the Republicans aren't really going to bother with that strategy because as you can see, they can win election without the South. And in fact, that's what they did. They're going to win swing states like Indiana and Pennsylvania and Ohio. In fact, Hancock is from Pennsylvania. And when we look at that electoral breakdown, we can see that it looks like a rompling. It's rompling. Is that a word? 
Well, anyway, Garfield gets 214 votes, 155 votes for Mr. Hancock. But if you take his home state of Pennsylvania into the mix, and I think I've done the math correctly, it ends up as a 184-184 tie. But of course, that didn't occur. But look at that popular vote. Wow. We're talking about a difference of 1,888 votes out of almost 9 million votes cast. It's really close. In fact, California, right? Hancock wins by 20 votes. Maybe some of those flyers had an impact out there. But at the end of the day, it's just not enough. This is without a doubt the closest popular vote we've had in American history. And we have ourselves a winner. James Garfield is the legitimate electoral winner of the contest of 1880, and he's the new president. Now, normally I would start my haul. So there you go, guys, subscribe and all that. But I'm not going to do that because there's a little end clip to this story, which ends up having James Garfield dead. So on July 2nd, 1881, Charles Guiteau is going to shoot James Garfield twice in a Baltimore train station, eventually killing him. And when he shot him, he yelled, I am a stalwart of the stalwarts. Arthur is the president. And it ended up that Charles Gatou, who was very mentally unstable, was also somebody who was a stalwart who believed that he had a job owed to him because he wrote some bad speeches at the convention. And uh, when he didn't get that job, he ended up killing the president, putting Chester Arthur in charge, who kind of is supposed to be a stalwart, but ends up making it his mission to do civil service reform. In fact, signing the Pendleton Act, which created the civil service system that we know today. So Charles Gatier, it didn't work. So if you want to know more about the assassination of James Garfield, we already got you covered. We already done that video. Got it done. Go down. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. So just a couple thousands of votes, 20 votes in California, not like they cheated. But, you know, they were screaming about how they cheated before and they were upset that they were waving the whole red shirt, which means, you know, hey, you are killing black people and you're racist. So, no. And so then they had this guy kind of like that guy that shot JFK, you know, he was totally mentally unstable, of course. And then he also shouted, make America great again, and then shot him, right? So then that way, the vice president can sit there and bring in socialism nicely, right? That was what it was done, right? Mm-hmm. That's what's up. Do you guys want to see how he was killed? Do you want to see how he was killed? We can get that video. We can get that video from him. Hold on. There it is. The assassination of President Garfield. And this is from Hip Hughes, of course, our favorite <laughs> history teacher that's liberal, but he's kind of awesome in a way because he wasn't that bad back then. Hey guys, welcome to Hip Hughes History. Bang, bang for the learning and bang, bang, James Garfield. That's right, guys. We're going to do five things that you didn't know about the death of James Garfield. All right, guys, so why don't we heat up for the learning? We'll do a little bit of it right now. Charles Gautier is a free-loving communist, baby. Charles Gautier, maybe not a free-loving communist, but did live in Oneida, the United Community in New York, which was a free-love, kind of open marriage, communitarianism, kind of share-everything kind of society. They didn't like him very much. They nicknamed him Charles Gautier, 
and they actually kicked him out. And he had a lot of failures his whole life. He failed to get into the University of Michigan. He was a failed lawyer in Chicago. He was a failed religious prophet, kind of wrote a, wrote a book that plagiarized and uh, didn't do really well at that. Um, but he did write a little bit of political campaign literature for the Grant administration. And then during the campaign of 1880 to get James Garfield elected. So he's now 1881, you know, when uh, James Garfield took over in Washington looking for a job. And he actually went in, he saw Garfield and he was bothering the secretary of state and all of the cabinet members trying to get an ambassador to Paris. But that wasn't going to happen. They actually told him, like, literally, get the hell out of here. So he ends up really disgruntled, and that's what makes him kind of go over the ledge, believing that he's on a mission to kill James Garfield, and he's going to do it. So, free-loving communist? I don't know. But, uh, giddy up from the party. Here we go. It was Robert Todd Lincoln. Yeah, uh, Robert Lincoln, the son of the uh, deceased president, is really a threer. Um, this is the guy who was in Washington, D.C. when his father gets killed. We're going to talk a little bit in depth in a moment, but he's at the train station where James Garfield gets killed on July 2nd, 1881. And he's also going to be in Buffalo the day that William McKinley gets shot, um, you know, in 1901. So uh, this guy's a threer. I'm not saying he did. It's just kind of a really weird coincidence. But it is at the train station, uh, train station in Washington, D.C., which was Baltimore back then. And James Garfield's going on vacation. He um, comes to the train station, you know, expecting to get on the train. The Secretary of State's there. Robert Todd Lincoln's there. His son's there. They're all happy to be there. And then uh, Charles Gittu kind of pops out from behind the president and pops him in the back. And that was really the bullet. It's going to end up killing him. He took a second shot, which kind of grazed into his shoulder. And then he's quickly apprehended, and the president is uh, now on the ground. And what does Charles Gattier yell when he kills the president and he's arrested? I am a stalwart of the stalwarts. Yeah, there's something that goes down in infinity. Not. Uh, the stalwarts were actually a faction of the Republican Party that actually supported kind of the political party system, patronage, the spoils system. I rub your back, you rub my back. Not in a creepy teacher way, but nevertheless, he belongs to that faction and he believes that he's been betrayed. He's betrayed because James Garfield is talking about civil service reform. And he knows that Chester Arthur, the vice president, is also a stalwart. And I think Charles Gateau in his kind of mental mind thinks that because Chester Arthur agrees with him, he was kind of along that faction of being a stalwart, that if he kills the president, then you know, he can kill the civil service reform. So that's that's the reason that he said that he did it. And boy, did he say that he did it. He actually visited the jail in uh, D.C. to scout it out because he knew he would be going there. He wrote a letter to General Sherman basically asking for protection. So when he killed the president, the mob wouldn't get him. So this is a guy that's making no secrets about it. When he chose the gun out, he like chose a special gun with a bronze or a silver plate. because He thought it would look good in the museum. So this is a guy that has uh, illusions of Grosso. And bang, bang, he certainly did it. July 2nd, 1881, the deed is done. Garfield's death sucked, like big time. Like all death sucks, but some death sucks uh, more than other death. And if you look at presidential assassinations, JFK went instantly. You have uh, President Lincoln, who, you know, survived for a few hours, really in a conscious state. You have William McKinley, who lasted you know, a week and a half, something like that, and um, that wasn't good. 
80 days for James Garfield, 80 days in tremendous pain. It was actually two inventions that kind of sprung forth from the assassination. It was so hot in the summer of 1881 that the Navy engineers came in and really built one of the first air conditioners using blocks of ice and fans and direction. They lowered the room something like 20 degrees. And it was uh, Alexander Graham Bell who really invented the first metal detector that they were trying to use to locate the bullet. The only problem was was the coils and the bed springs uh, messed up kind of the, you know, the magnetization. I'm not a scientist. And when the surgeons put their big, ugly, fat, dirty fingers in the president's wound, they went the wrong way and they made it worse. And uh, it's a terrible, terrible death. He had um, infections and pus-filled pox and uh, pneumonia, um, aneurysms. He, he, it was really not a good thing. So 80 days, he's going to die. And then we're going to get the trial, really, of the century at that point. Charles Guitier is going down like a clown. A crazy man. Cray, cray. Charles Coteau's trial in um, the 1880s is really one of the first national trials where somebody's trying out the insanity defense. It doesn't work. Uh, there's actually a split between the lawyers and Charles Guiteau, where Charles is saying, I'm legally insane, but I'm really sane. And his defense team is making the argument this guy is loony bins and mentally insane all the time. It doesn't work either way. He's convicted. He even sang. He sang for the jury, he sang John Brown's body at the trial. Um, he's convicted. He's sentenced to hang for the death of the president. And he actually danced to the gallows and read poetry and shook the hands of his executioner. So you can you can come to your own conclusions about the sanity of Mr. Charles Guitier. So let's look at how it's all just so ironic. that it's so ironic is because the main reason that he killed James Garfield was to kill civil service reform. Chester Arthur, who became president, and, you know, there was actually a little bit of a constitutional crisis in there for a little while because the president was alive, but he wasn't doing well. He really couldn't perform his job, and we didn't have the 25th Amendment. Um, but luckily, it was in the summer. Congress wasn't in session. I believe that James Garfield only did like an extradition kind of procedure. That was the only thing that he did as president. He met with his cabinet once. And then suddenly, you know, here's Chester Arthur, who is going to be the president. And of course, Chester Arthur is going to lose in 1885 to Grover Cleveland. So he's, you know, somebody who was never really elected in the first place. So he feels as though it's his duty not really winning power, but taking power through the death of a president to continue the legacy of what James Garfield would want, which is civil service reform. And we get the Pendleton Act in 1883. And the Pendleton Act is everything that Charles Goodell was trying to stop by killing the president. So perhaps by him killing the president, he actually hastened the passage of civil service reform. So there you go, guys. That's James Garfield. You know, a little bit about his death now, and a little bit about some of the weird stuff in American history. So give me a call, everybody. You know, he's kind of growing on you, isn't he? I mean, I like the way he puts things down. So that's going to be an interesting thing to remember. We'll mull it around because we might need it at some point in 2022 to revisit. Now, isn't it weird how we're constantly going around in these circles as, you know, it's like, Politicians want to be generals and generals want to be politicians, right? It's always like that. Military industrial complex wants to be a politician and politicians think that they are, you know, generals and that they have the right to slam fists and do things. Well, that's really weird. Now, um, 
let's look at something called Supreme Court shenanigans. Take a listen. In the United States, the Supreme Court is the highest court, given the final say on what laws really mean and if they're cool with the Constitution. Well, this power was not given-given, but taken. Back in the day, the Supreme Court ruled it is the duty of the court to say what the law is, and everyone went with it. You might think the law would say what the law is, but even the best, most well-intentioned legislators cannot write a law that covers every possible edge case for the rest of time, nor be able to consider how this law will interact with every other law. So someone's got to make the final call on the law, and the Supreme Court is that someone. This makes the Supreme Court supremely important constitutionally and politically. While Congress gets to make the laws and the president gets to enforce the laws, it's the nine court justices that both referee and adjust the laws. So if you're playing the game for pure maximum political advantage, you want to influence the refs. Now, to be above this influence, each justice serves for life. So appointing a new one is an irreversible mm, decision that will affect decades of law. Only when a justice resigns or dies does a seat open. Filling that seat starts with the president, who the Constitution gives the sole absolute power to select a nominee, with no restrictions whatsoever on who the nominee can be, no prior judicial experience required. But particularly in modern history, presidents tend to select federal judges with long and clear case rulings, hoping the past predicts the future. No surprises, please. This is my chance to influence government long after I leave. Of course, the whole point of justices serving for life is so, once in, they are politically beholden to no one and don't have to strategically plan how their current rulings will affect their next career move. Getting on the Supreme Court is the final move. Now, while the president can nominate whoever they want, Congress must approve the nominee. Well, not the whole Congress. The lower House of Representatives, with its hundreds of members, gets to do nothing. It's just the exclusive upper house, with its two senators per state, that historically decides with a two-thirds majority. Before the Senate votes, it puts the nominee in front of the Judiciary Committee, which conducts the world's most arduous job interview over weeks, asking the nominee just about everything in their lives they've ever done and their opinions on everything that could ever happen. All broadcast for the country to watch, which is why nominees play their cards close to their chest, answering questions about what they would do in theoretical cases with, I couldn't possibly comment on a case not before me. That would be unbecoming of a future justice. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, the FBI investigates everything private about the nominee's life they might not wish to discuss before the cameras. When the Judiciary Committee inquisition is over, the whole Senate then gets to vote yay or nay. Nay, and the nominee is rejected, and the President must pick someone new to start over. But yay, and the Supreme Court has a new justice to help uphold the Constitution. Yay! All done! Thank goodness such a vital process doesn't have any asterisks or political shenanigans. Oh. Alright. Let's do this. First are the normal political shenanigans around election dates. While the president can nominate as soon as a seat opens, there's no timeline for when the Senate has to vote on the nominee, and so can just not, running out the clock, gambling on the next election getting a president of a different color. On the flip side, there's no minimum time either, so an aligned president and Senate with an unfavorable election looming can work together very quickly to appoint a new justice. These are normal election time shenanigans, but shenanigans beget 
shenanigans. So the Senate doesn't work all year round, taking seasonal recesses, often in the summer and in the winter, or if it's pandemic season, it's recess time too. If a Supreme Court seat opens while the Senate is on recess, according to the Constitution, the president gets to instantly appoint someone straight into the court, who gets to stay there through the current Senate recess and the next Senate session. This is a recess appointment, and boy, does the Senate not like them. Even though the appointed recess justice is temporary, there's still a real justice, getting to vote on cases before the court without Senate approval. And recess appointments aren't just for the Supreme Court, but all sorts of government jobs. The constitutional idea being that legislating the government isn't full-time work. The Senate, for the first 140 years of its existence, spent half or more of each year in recess. But executing the government is a full-time job. Stuff's gotta get done, even if the Senate is on vacation, so the Constitution gave the president the ability to temporarily fill vital positions for a minimum length of time, even when the Senate's not around. And the Senate will get its say later when they're back to work. Seems reasonable to me. Don't like it. But for 230 years, the Senate did like their Senate recesses, and thus presidents got their temporary recess appointments. Until the shenanigans began. If a seat opened while an unfriendly Senate was in session, the president could just wait until they went on recess to make the appointment, and thus at least get their unalloyed favorite on the court straight away for a few months. Well, if you're going to wait until we're on recess, then we'll never take a recess. You want to work all year round? Go right ahead. Oh no, we'll take our vacations, just not a recess. The Senate had found a constitutional loophole, the pro forma session. I will now reenact, word for word, a complete day in the Senate with a pro forma session. I will be playing two parts, the clerk and the senator. <clears throat> Begin scene. Senate will come to order. The clerk will read a communication to the Senate. To the Senate, under the provisions of Rule 1, Paragraph 3 of the Standing Rules of the Senate, I hereby appoint the Honorable Senator from the great state of Delaware to perform the duties of the chair. Signed, President Pro Tempe. Under the previous order, I declare the Senate stands adjourned for three days. End scene. That's it. An entire workday complete in what is quite often literally less than 20 seconds. Okay, here's what's going on. The president pro tempe of the Senate is the longest serving senator who runs the Senate's procedures, but they can temporarily delegate that power to someone else. This is what the letter the clerk reads into the record is doing. Translation, this senator is in charge today. And then the senator now in charge performs one action. Hey everyone, go home. Let's meet again in three days. Why three days? Because the rule in the Constitution is that if the Senate wants to take a three-day break, it can do so any time it likes. But a four-day break requires approval from the House of Representatives. But there's no rule against taking a three-day break every four days, as long as something happens on the fourth day. And the minimum possible something is the pro forma session that calls for another three-day break. Oh, and by the way, the senator in charge is the only senator in the room. All the others are on vacation. How is this remotely legit when a quorum of 51 senators is required before the Senate can, you know, do anything? Well, the Senate itself has decided the rule is to presume that a quorum is present unless someone asks for a roll call to show otherwise. So if the one senator who is present does not ask for a roll call, who knows how many senators are in the room? We'll just presume it's 51. So the Senate takes just as many breaks as it ever did, but is never officially at recess. So if a justice unexpectedly resigns or dies, the president is blocked from 
making a recess appointment. It's impressive rules lawyering, according to the Senate, but shenanigans, according to the president, so it was inevitable that they would get hauled before the Supreme Court to make the final call. The executive position being, if all the senators are back at home except for the one junior kid with orders not to roll call and a note to say the magic words, then by no means is the Senate in session. And the Supreme Court, in a 9-0 decision, completely agreed with the Senate. Listen, Executive Branch, I know you're annoyed, but you don't get to tell the Senate when they're in recess. And also now we don't have to work with the temp. And thus, recess appointments, while theoretically still part of the appointment process, will practically never happen again as long as the Senate keeps up their pro forma sessions. Even though, delightfully, the Senate's official website still talks about taking their annual August recess, which is the political equivalent of one branch of government sticking out its tongue at the other. But shenanigans beget shenanigans. Now, of course, the Senate is not one thing, but 100 separate senators who are or aren't members of the same party as the president. So while the Senate blocked recess appointments to always get to perform their confirmations, the shenanigan escalation was to get the number of senators who need to agree with the president's nomination as low as it can be. This top sneaky shenanigan paperwork plan had the exciting name, the nuclear option. But it's so bureaucratically boring, the details will induce coma in the listener, speaking from experience. So we'll skip the details and just get to the results. The two-thirds vote needed in the Senate to approve a Supreme Court justice was the historical starting place, but that got whittled down to three-fifths, then dropped down to half plus one, which in practical terms means just one half exactly. Because when there's a tie in the Senate, the vice president, who will obviously side with the president, cast the deciding vote. Through the nuclear shenanigans, it's become much easier for the president's nominee to get permanently on the bench. And now the confirmation of the Senate the Constitution requires can literally mean exactly half of the senators disapprove. Again, rules lawyering or shenanigans is a matter of opinion, but shenanigans beget shenanigans and there are more nuclear options still just waiting to be picked up. For example, imagine the president and Senate get a justice on the court and then later a government of a different color is elected. Because justices serve for life, there's nothing the executive and legislative branches can do until the justice dies or resigns. Or is there? Oh, what's this? Judicial impeachment? I didn't know that was an option. It is. Surprise! Congress can impeach and remove Supreme Court justices. Now, this has never happened fully. There was one impeachment hearing of a Supreme Court justice back at the start of the 1800s, but the vote to convict didn't pass. The whole incident set the precedent that the Supreme Court should be left out of partisan politics and justices shouldn't be removed for political advantage. But precedents aren't laws, and this incident did leave a little unclear what the reasons to impeach could be. So that nuclear option is lying around. Another technically possible nuclear shenanigan is forced recess. The Constitution does have this power where the president can, quote, from time to time force the Congress back to the Capitol, presumably to sort out some emergency business, like in a war or a pandemic, and then can forcibly dismiss them when done. Now, the exact clause has this weird detail that if the Senate and House don't agree on how long the recess will be, the president gets to decide. So if the Congress was on recess, and if the president called them back to then immediately dismiss them, and if the houses disagreed on how long the recess would be, then the president could force a long recess and make recess appointments till their heart's content. It shouldn't take much imagination to see why the forced dismissal of Congress by the president would be the most truly of nuclear shenanigans and the fallout would affect, like, every part of the government. But that's the sort of thing that can happen when shenanigans infinitely escalate. And given the supreme 
extreme importance of the Supreme Court, doubtless the rules lawyers are always looking for more. Two, recurring nukes being either trying to get term limits on the Supreme Court justices, but only when it's politically advantageous and also to make the justices more politically influenceable, or failing that, simply packing the court with more. But, of course, if and when any possible nuclear shenanigans triggered, doubtless the Supreme Court will instantly get involved to make the final call. And if their earlier decisions are anything to go by, don't bet a lot of money on the court deciding to make it easier to mess with the court. But who knows? In the meantime, the current possible process is pretty straightforward. The Senate never goes on recess, officially, so when a seat opens, the president picks a nominee, and half or more of the Senate must confirm that nominee to the highest court of the land. So I hoped you liked that. That was very insightful. So I want you to let that percolate for a bit, you know, those nuclear options and stuff. Just let it percolate. Because here's something that we're going to talk about. This is a brief one-minute review before we get into the details. Citing this 1905 case, which we'll talk about. But its predecessor was this. Oops. Again, my sound. One moment. Let me get this going. Davis was devastated at the tidal white wave of invective that greeted his opinion. Conservative Republican New York Times blasted the court for throwing the great weight of its influence into the scale of, of those who assailed the union and impugned the constitutionality of everything that was done to uphold it. The editor of The Independent called it the most dangerous opinion ever produced by the Supreme Court, which says a lot after Dred Scott. Harper's Weekly called, called it the new Dred Scott. Not only they, but respected legal commentators criticized Davis and the majority for having gone beyond the facts of the case. They seemed eager, one of them admonished, to go beyond the record, to lay down principles on which they would decide other questions not now before them, involving the greatest, gravest, and highest powers of Congress. And that's from the American Law Review, which at that time was had just been established uh, and became the leading law journal in the country for, for decades. Davis did not understand that in the time between the announcement of the decision uh, of ex-party Milligan in the first days of April 1866 and the delivery of the opinion in, on December 17, 1866, the context of the case had entirely changed. It was no longer a civil liberties case. It had become a federalism case. So what is that case? What is that federalism case? Well, it decided that neither the legislature nor any executive or judicial officer may disregard the provisions of the Constitution in case of emergency. Boy, what say? What? Yes. That in the times of civil war, you can't dismiss constitutional rights in any emergency. That means pandemics, pandemics, earthquakes, rainfall, 40 days of rainfall, you name it, explosions, whatever, constitutional liberties cannot be removed. But for some reason, there was a case that actually used that to fight the polio vaccine and people keep throwing it in their face. Jacobson versus Massachusetts. Academy for Social Change presents Jacobson v. Massachusetts, 1905. In the early 1900s, regulation over individual behavior was on the rise. Restrictions over contraceptives, abortion, alcohol, and drug use were supported by the federal government. In addition, politicians and the courts prioritized economic rights over individual liberties. 
Along with these changing sentiments, smallpox and other infectious diseases were spreading. Boston had an outbreak of smallpox that led to 1,596 cases and 270 deaths. States began to require vaccination mandates to stop the spread of the disease. These new police power actions led to claims from those arguing for individual rights. In Massachusetts, state law allowed for cities to require smallpox vaccinations. The city of Cambridge adopted a smallpox vaccination mandate with some exceptions. However, Henning Jacobson, a Cambridge minister, refused to be vaccinated. Jacobson claimed he had adverse reactions to previous vaccinations. Jacobson was fined the equivalent of nearly $150 today. Jacobson and his lawyer argued that the vaccination mandate violated his 14th Amendment rights to liberty. The 14th Amendment's text states that no state shall deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of laws. The Supreme Court was asked to decide if Cambridge's vaccination mandate violated Jacobson's 14th Amendment rights. In a 7-2 decision, the court held that Jacobson's 14th Amendment rights were not violated because states had the police power to handle health emergencies. While the court acknowledged individual freedoms, Justice Marshall Harlan wrote in his decision that people do not have the right to refuse the smallpox vaccination. Harlan used social compact theory, noting that citizens have a duty to one another and to society as a whole. Harlan compared Cambridge's measures to quarantines of ships arriving in America when yellow fever was ablaze globally. Justice Harlan set four standards for mandatory vaccinations imposed by the state. Necessity, reasonable means, proportionality, and harm avoidance. Vaccines needed to be given with purpose, not arbitrarily. The methods of vaccination must prevent or get rid of an actual threat to human health. If the vaccine disproportionately harmed rather than help. So wait a minute, let's go to this together. So number one, let's listen to it again. What was the number one rule? Let's listen. ...and harm avoidance. Vaccines needed to be given with purpose, not arbitrarily. So with purpose, not arbitrarily. Hmm. Where's the purpose? The methods of vaccination must prevent or get rid of an actual threat to... So is the vaccine actually preventing or removing a threat? No. Most of the people dying have the COVID vaccine. Sounds so familiar. This actual decision, these four steps actually can stop the vaccines, the mandatory vaccines that people think that the states can do. Human health, if the vaccine disproportionately harmed rather than helped an So disproportionately harmed rather than, so you want more people harmed then cured like what is the proportionality is a thousand people dead ten thousand a hundred thousand three hundred thousand like how many dead do you need to do this individual it was unconstitutional the vaccine must also not pose a health risk to the person receiving the vaccine huh they can't prove that because it's still experimental so i'm so confused as to why people keep saying no we can't win because jacobson versus massachusetts um this is exactly why you can win Harlan and the majority decided that these standards were met since the local boards of health decided to mandate vaccines in order to stop the spread of smallpox. Justice David Josiah Brewer and Rufus W. Peckham dissented. However, their dissents have been omitted from current copies of the case text. The justices treated regulations on individual rights similarly to how they treated regulations. I'm sorry, did you hear that? Their dissents have been omitted from the case file. Wait, what? We need to start digging to find their dissent. Anybody find their dissent? Let's find a dissent of the two judges that said no. Hmm? Why were their dissent removed? Where is it? 
Why isn't it allowed? Mm, free America, is it? Why can't we see what the censorship is trying to hide here? What is the dissent? The pudding and the proof of all of this is in the dissent. Mm-mm-mm. We all know how this goes, don't we? We all know. Relations on the economy at the time, with broad acceptance. Jacobson v. Massachusetts of 1905 was a landmark case for police power during public health emergencies and is often seen as the most important Supreme Court case about public health. The case has not often been subject to controversy or discussion. However, public health experts have recently struggled with the tensions Jacobson outlined. Supreme Court cases since 1905 have given more protection to individual liberties. In April of 2020, a United States appeals court used Jacobson as the only precedent to uphold a Texas law that banned abortions during the coronavirus pandemic. The court agreed with Texas Governor Greg Abbott that it was a non-essential medical service and took up personal protective equipment that was under short supply. This case never reached the Supreme Court since Governor Abbott decided to loosen the state's abortion restrictions. In 2019, after Brooklyn, New York, had an outbreak of measles, the New York City government mandated measles vaccinations. Courts have upheld the Brooklyn mandate by citing Jacobson. The court has viewed vaccination mandates and other public health actions as constitutional as long as they address specific public health dangers. Now, I want you guys to take a look at the stats in New York and see which uh, which people mostly had COVID-19 kind of guarantee you that shit came out of the borough of Brooklyn. Just saying. Now it's your time to think further. What do you think of the four standards for mandatory vaccines set in Jacobson? Should So those four standards can actually help you win. This is how they help you win, not lose, help you win, not lose. So I don't know why people think that it won't help you win when it definitely helps you win. Um, Give me a second. Let me find my next clip. Well, actually, let me talk about it. I think it's better. So, okay. So let me tell you about Ex Parte Milligan 1866. So it's September 15th. Uh, 1863, America was literally at war, right? Remember, Lincoln was president. And the war was between the states, right? There was the Civil War, basically. And so what you had was you had um, the North, which was, you know, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, West Virginia, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Kansas, um, that were all union. And then you had the border Uh, which was Missouri, Kentucky, and Maryland, right? And so all those states were north versus south, right? It was north versus south. Um, Abraham Lincoln was obviously president at the time, right? And what's super bizarre is that, um, hold on, Let let me find this. Give me a second. Let me start this. Let me see. I got it. I got you. Hold on. I got one for you. So you can, I, I know people like pictures, right? So let's do pictures rather than me just read. Congress took six months. Okay, so Congress took six months while America was placed under martial law. Before ratifying the executive order, Lincoln suspended. The common law right of habeas corpus. 
This is really important. What happened while Congress failed to protect our rights? Political violence ensued. Violence from the war. Kind of sounds like today, right? Kind of sounds like today. They claimed the lives of at least 618,000 Americans. Lincoln imposed the suspension on prisoners of war, spies, aiders and abettors of the enemy. Notably, all were Americans before the war with protection by the federal government and the constitution. What is habeas corpus? So, you know, basically what you need to understand is during the, the civil war, they had imposed martial law and no one was protecting them. So Lincoln stood up even for the prisoners because they were Americans and they had rights regardless, right? They had rights regardless. Agencies can't detain you without just cause. They have to charge you or let you go. The suspension of habeas corpus allows an agency to hold a person without a charge indefinitely. During the Civil War, Lincoln's Union Army set up concentration camps for Southern Americans who were considered POWs, spies, or enemies of the state. The constitutional protections were suspended. It is estimated that more men died in these camps than the Vietnam War. This matter was brought before the court. Lambden P. Milligan and four others plotted to steal Union weapons and invade Union POW camps. Their plan was foiled. The war ended before they could be tried in a military court. Their case was heard by the U.S. Supreme Court. The court ruled that civilian courts in functioning could not be superseded by military tribunal. The court also stated the rights of habeas corpus should not have been suspended. President Lincoln was wrong. Congress failed the American people. They failed to impeach because Americans forget our history. Five other U.S. presidents have violated the same rights of their fellow Americans in all instances. Congress has failed to act. In further instances, the Supreme Court has failed to intercede on the constitutionality of the imposition of martial law. Here are your five presidents. So it was Abraham Lincoln. It was um, Ulysses S. Grant. Um, it was President Roosevelt, Clinton, Bush, and Obama. So there you have it. What people don't seem to understand is history is not everything they tell you. And what you need to understand is that, no, it was five more, including Abraham Lincoln. So what will happen if the state decides that you're the enemy? Please wake up, America.
Now think. Think, think, think. They're already starting with the FEMA camps. They've already imprisoned you in your homes, but they haven't removed you. They have suspended your rights to vote. They have suspended your rights to be able to stand up and voice your refusal of any medication. Yet they want you to be able to advocate to choose your own death, of course. What problems we have is that many, many, many good people have done many bad things for things that are good, right? Many, 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 many. And that's what's a problem here. That they will do things that are bad because of good. I've said this so many times before. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, how can I kill people? How can I violate people's rights? The people that have been arrested for the January 6th, crimes, if you want to call it, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, simply being there, right? Where's their habeas corpus? Ha, <laughs> you have Biden in office. That's not going to work. Every single politician we have is just that, a politician. Is there a school to be a politician? No. <laughs> you simply have to be a certain cut of person. Real patriots, people that believe in freedom, that believe in the rights of American citizens, always tend to make one bad decision to kick things down. That's it. One bad decision. That was a bad decision. I understand why he did it. He didn't want to kill them. He wanted to stop them. He wanted to unite the nation. But that doesn't mean that you can put people in concentration camps. What about the Japanese Americans hmm, that we put in concentration camps? What about them? What about the people that are being, that were locked down in nursing homes? What about the people that are now prisoners of war at some emergency room because they're not vaccinated or they're testing out new medication? What do, what do we do? Do you take the streets with guns? In the end, like Biden threatened you, you don't have F-15s and whatnot, right? You need nuclear weapons to take us down. No, bitch, we're going to use our pens and we will use them so hard, so hard that it will be etched in history forever and ever. See, this is what happens. When people wake up too hard, right, and they see the truth of how things actually have operated in time and in history and what is to come, and they can see it, right? Hmm. They get angry, and they get irrational, and they get trigger happy. And then this is why they want your guns, because they're doing shit. And when you realize it, you're going to want to take them out. But that's not how you win. I know every nation, every border that's been changed has blood all over it. Flags with red speak of that. And yes, many might say, and many have said, oh, you know, freedom is always drenched with the blood of patriots. Fuck the blood. It's 2021. We don't need to die. We do not need to die. We can fix it and we can get them out as we wish. We need to bombard them from every corner and every side. We will have the last say, not them, because we are many and they are few. I don't know how many more times I can repeat that. We are many, they are few. And the only way 
The only way we win is by making it record, 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 record. And my cat's really needy. I think he's really upset, okay? Because my Great Dane that's with Hera right now doesn't seem like she's going to make it. So Hera's in a really bad place, and um, he's probably listening to that conversation earlier. And he's really needy because, you know, all the puppies, we had three puppies throughout our time. One was murdered. The other two were poisoned but survived and got cancer. Zeus is gone, and now Ruffy and our Great Dane is not going to make it. So um, it's pretty sad. So he's really needy right now. <laughs> he's the oldest one of them all, too. Anyway, I want you guys to let this episode kind of percolate so you can see. Abraham Lincoln suspended the Constitution at the time of war. Now you might say, well, they were enemies. They were still Americans. They were still Americans, and they were still supposed to be afforded the same rights. Yes, not many were killed. But see, people hate that when we have heroes, and then you show the one really fucked up thing they did, like JFK signed that UN treaty and pushed it, but then he didn't want it. Abraham Lincoln fucked up, and we won. So... <clears throat> It's really important that we face the truth. There's a lot of ugly things that happen, okay? There's a lot of ugly things that happen in, what is it, everything is fair in love and war? Bullshit. 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 You know, it's complete BS. We don't need that. We really don't need that. We just need to focus on taking back our Supreme Court before they do some shenanigans. I mean, I mean, we could always do some shenanigans, but it's time to use the people's court. That court was created for us, not for lawyers. That court was created for us to redress our grievances and fix these things. I've said this for years on the radio. You can have a corrupt legislative branch and a corrupt executive branch, but if you're judicial branch is corrupt, you're screwed. So the only way to uncorrupt a corrupt judicial branch is to help them pull their pants down. Like um, in Arizona, their judicial branch, their Supreme Court dismissed the writ of mandamus because they did a whole opinion. They could have just said, oh, here's your money back. You need to file it in this court. That's the way it would normally go. Instead, what they did, they wrote an opinion, all of them, that's completely outside of their scope. It's a, it's like, what is going on? In North Dakota, they dismissed their writ with no why we dismissed it. They were just like, yeah, dismissed. Who the fuck are you? God? You could just say no and turn around and be like, excuse me, you're accountable to the people. What are you doing? And this is where you come back with, excuse me, who do you think you are? I'm sorry. You get paid by my tax dollar. I put a question in your face. You're going to give me a fucking answer and it's going to be written and you're going to have your dissent as to why you dismissed it. You don't do that. Who do you think you are? And this is exactly, you know, what you put in. This is how you fight back. They tell you no. Say, all right, tell me why. No. Tell me why you said no. You can't just say no. Who do you think you are? What are you? No. Why? Because I said so. You're not my mom. You're a judge that gets my money and a pretty penny while you're at it. 
So you're going to answer that question. So that's the next step North Dakota is going to be taking is to say, who, what, wait, I'm sorry. Did you just say no and not tell me why? Um, <laughs> okay, that's fine. I'll see you in the 6th District. See, oh, is it 6th District? I don't remember. But it's going to the Supreme Court. That's next. First, you write them a nice little response. Say, I demand a dissent. I need to know what law you're citing saying that I can't do this. And then if they still say no, then you're like, all right, fuck that bitch. I'm going to hold on to it. We're all going to the Supreme Court together. We've got yeses. We've got nos. Tory's got the AG on their toes. So, you know, we need to all move it together. Because where we go one, we go all. And it's game over for them. So when you get losses, don't be upset. Be grateful. Because we need wins and losses. We need to show inconsistencies across the nation. Right now, the federal courts are talking. Shit, I got one of those federal lawsuits too. Is it that stupid Tory bitch? Well, we'll just wait to see what happens with her and then we'll talk, right? Ooh, they filed written mandamuses in every single fucking state. Yes, and we're going to keep filing them. That's the first one. Next one is going to be prohibition. Then we're going to do a bunch of other shit. You watch us. We're going to be swaying. And we're going to be keep, we're going to keep on doing this until we get to one place. How does it go in the Bible? The woman kept going to the judge asking for help. And he was like, no, and ignoring her. And then he just said, just give it to her, whatever she wants. (laughs) See how that works. See how that works. We need wins and losses. And every loss is also a win. Do not take it as a loss. Your loss tells us. What needs to be rectified? Your loss gives us the information we need to move forward. So Arizona's loss gave us super ammo for Supreme Court. Like who who's on the Supreme Court thinking they can write opinions on shit they don't have jurisdiction on? I'm sorry. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge, but uh, I know that's wrong. And then North Dakota, who do they think they are? They just say no. And it's like, um, Yeah. See, I'm not getting the whole no. That's like really an umbrella answer. I'd like you to, you know, cite laws and shit as to why you said no. And you ask them nicely, not like I just said. You don't say cite your laws and shit. You say, all right, so you said no. Can you like elaborate like what case law you're referencing, why you're not doing this? You know, just respond and see what their response is because that's more bullets in your clip. When you go to the Supreme Court and you riddle that shit with facts, you're going to be shooting off all your facts. Boom, 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 boom. Here we go. Arizona, boom. Five justices put an opinion when they weren't allowed to. Bank. North Dakota said no, and then I asked them to elaborate, and they said none of your your business. Mind your place. Know your place. Shut up, peasant. You know, and then you put that forward. Then you get a win from somewhere else. Then you get a loss from somewhere else. And you just put that all together. And we all join together. This is going to be, what, 50 of us? And we'll be like, yo, yo, let's all go together. That's what's up. And then we take it. I get I get a yes. You get a no. You get a yes. I get a no. We all go together. And then it's like, all right, we ask, hey, can you take a look at this? Because this shit's really inconsistent. We got judges doing jobs, whatever. We need the Supreme Court to step in because these people are nuts. And suddenly, things change. Why? Because you got it done. You are the heroes of this story. You are writing history. You are writing it. I want you to remember that. You're the ones writing history, no one else. 
you're writing history right now with everything you're doing. And what we're about to do next, I mean, at the end of the day, it's whatever it takes, right? That's how you go, whatever it takes. Wait, I forgot something. Those in Tampa tomorrow, 1.30, Gus Bilirakis, um, Patrick Berger is going to be there asking him uh, to subpoena me, him, and um, Millie and Gavin to Congress to talk about J6. Highly doubt they're going to invite us because we're actually going to blow this shit wide open, but that's okay. Just for those of you that are in Tampa, Florida, 1.30 at Gus Bilirakis' office in Tampa, Florida. For days, tripping in the world could be dangerous. Everybody's circling his culturist, negative, nepotist. Everybody's waiting for the fallen man. Everybody's praying for the end of times. Everybody hoping they could be the one. I was born to run, I was born for this. Whip, whip, on me like a racehorse. Pull me like a ripcord. Break me down and build me up. I wanna be the slip, slip. Word upon your lip, lip. Letter that you rip, rip. Break me down and build me up. Whatever it takes. Cause I love the adrenaline in my face I do whatever it takes Cause I love how it feels when I break the chains Whatever it takes Yeah, take my time, time I'm ready for whatever it takes Cause I love the adrenaline in my do what it takes. Feel being typical. Looking at my body, feeling miserable. Always hanging on to the visual. I wanna be invisible. Looking at my ears like a mighty dome. Everybody needs to be a part of them. Never be enough. I'm the bridal son. I was born a rhyme. I was born for this. Whip, whip, pull me like a racehorse. Pull me like a ripcord. Break me down and build me up. I wanna be the slip, slip. Word up on your lip, lip. Better than your rip, rip. Break me down and build me up. Whatever it Do what it takes. Whatever it takes. 